This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. Numbers chapter 35. So, 35th chapter of the book of Numbers. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plain of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Command the children of Israel that they give the Levite cities to dwell in from the inheritance of their possession. And you shall also give the Levites common land around the cities, and they shall have the cities to dwell in, and their common land shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their animals. The common land of the cities which you give the Levites shall extend from the wall of the city outward a thousand cubits all around. And you shall measure outside, uh, outside the city on the east side 2,000 cubits, and on the south side 2,000 cubits, and on the west side 2,000 cubits, and on the north side 2,000 cubits. The city shall be in the middle. And this shall belong to them as common land for the cities." Among the cities which you will give to the Levites, you shall appoint six cities of refuge, to which a manslayer may flee. And to these you shall add 42 cities. So all the cities you will give to the Levites shall be 48. These you shall give with their common land. The cities which you shall give shall be from the possession of the children of Israel. From the larger tribe you shall give many. From the smaller you shall give few. Each shall give some of its cities to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance that each receives. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall appoint cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person accidentally may flee there. And there shall the and they and they shall Sorry, they shall be cities of refuge for you from the avenger that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation in judgment. And of the cities which you give, you shall have six cities of refuge. You shall appoint three cities on the side of Jordan and three cities you shall appoint in the land of Canaan, which will be the cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the children of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills a person accidentally may flee there. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. If he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which one could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself, uh, himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred, or while lying in wait, or something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However, if he pushes him away suddenly without enmity, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, 
or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him, so that he dies while he was not his enemy or seeking his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled, and he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations and all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person uh, for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of the murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the priest. So you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. And then just a couple of verses in Joshua chapter 20, and you don't necessarily have to turn to this. These are the cities of refuge that were appointed. Verse 7. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, Kerjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness of the plain, and from the tribe of Rudin, Gamath in Gilead, from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Amen. That was a particularly uh, long reading this morning, but that's the context that we want to share in. The Old Testament is, provides, I suppose, much thought for the Christian, uh, plenty of wonderful images of Christ. There's a whole tapestry of images and types and shadows in the Old Testament. Over and over again, we see Christ foreshadowed, for instance, as a bridegroom or as an ark or an altar or the morning star and on and on you could go. But then when you turn to the New Testament, we see that the shadow turns to substance. And suddenly, when you put the two together, you get a picture of Christ. And that's why Augustine said the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. And here in chapter 35 of the book of Numbers, uh, we see a type or a shadow of Christ in these six cities of refuge. Now in the dividing up of the land, as we saw there among the tribes, 
when they would possess the land of Canaan. We see that the Levites, who were the priestly tribe, and their primary function, of course, was to serve God as priests, uh, that they were given 48 cities that would be spread throughout the whole land. Uh, men of God should be spread about the whole land. And out of, those six, out of those 48 cities, six of them were specially designated to be cities of refuge where the manslayer could flee to. And uh, whenever we look at these, we also discovered that the Levites were not allowed land other than a little portion around the city, a thousand cubits. And this little portion around the city was for their personal use, for their cattle or for their donkeys or whatever. But they did not own a whole tract of land as a tribe would own just a tiny little bit. Again, because they were priests. And that would be sufficient for them. Now, out of these 48 cities, these six have been designated cities of refuge. And Joshua 20, uh, we saw their names there. Now, the reason for this is very, very simple. Again, as we read. It was to differentiate between the murder and manslaughter, between murder and manslaughter. If somebody deliberately, consciously killed somebody, then they were a murderer, and then they were tried and put to death, or a near relative of the person who died would be the avenger of blood, and they would go after them, and they would kill them. So in the Old Testament, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, basically. However, if somebody accidentally killed somebody, they threw a rock, just not thinking, just tossed a rock, and it happened maybe to go over a wall and hit somebody in the head and kill the person because there's no deliberate intent, then that person, even though they had shed blood, and even though the avenger of that blood could kill them, but if they would hurry and flee to the city of refuge, then they could talk to the elders explain the situation to the elders, and the elders thought they were innocent, then they could stay in the city of refuge. In fact, they couldn't leave it. They had to stay in there until the high priest died, whenever that may be, and only then could, could they go back into their own home, to their own community. And so these six cities of refuge, uh, they are a type, a kind of, a shadow of Christ that would come in the New Testament. Just a number of things about these cities. First of all, they had to be easily accessible. That's why there was three on each side of the Jordan. They were roughly about half a day's journey from any place in Israel. And so if somebody had to flee to that, it was doable. They could make it if they hurried before the avenger of blood would catch up with them, but at least they could get there. I mean, it wasn't a million miles away. It was half a day's journey so they could get there. They had to be easily accessible. Uh, Deuteronomy 19 tells us that these particular cities, these six cities, the roads had to be kept clear at all times. There was to be nothing to, no rocks on them to stumble somebody who was fleeing for refuge. And particularly maybe in the evening time, at night time, when it would be dark, no big rocks were to be left on it in case somebody stumbled and the avenger of blood would catch up with it. So, in a sense, God was making it easier for that person to go to the city of refuge and not to be hindered or to be stumbled. It also had to be highly visible. So they'd be set on hilltops. 
particularly at night time, when there's no street lights, but those who were fleeing to the city of refuge would see a city set on a hill. So it was highly visible, easily accessible. Christ says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so our job as believers is to lift Christ up, isn't it? In our life, in our living, by our lips, by our actions, by our words, we're to lift Christ up to draw men unto him. They had to be clearly signposted. Now, we don't get this in the scripture text, but just through Jewish writings, they had to be clearly signposted. So that periodically on the road, because the road wouldn't be dead straight, there'd be twists and turns. Periodically, there would be signs with one word written on it in Hebrew, refuge, pointing a direction. And so there would be no mistaking where it was. And again, for our part, we are signposts to Christ. Our lives should point people clearly in the direction of Jesus Christ. Amen. And if we're living our lives aright, and, and we're living for Christ, then our lives will point to him. It was for Jew and Gentile alike. For the stranger in the land. And so Christ... In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, neither bond nor free. And so it was accessible, clearly signposted, highly visible, and also it had to be readily available. The gates were not to be closed night and day. Now, in ancient cities, the gates would always be closed at night. And if there was trouble in the land, they may be closed at daytime, but always at night. But in these six cities, at no time were the gates to be closed day or night, so that somebody fleeing to the city would know if they get there, there'd be no trouble, they could get in through the gate, and it would be open. There's a door open for those who flee to Christ, isn't there? And it's never closed. The day of grace... Make sure that gate is open at all times, day and night. It was the only safe place for the manslayer. He had to remain in the city. Once he went to the city, once the elders judged him and said, you can stay in the city, You'll be safe from the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood cannot come in here and kill you, but you must remain in the city. You must stay in the city. There is a place of safety in Christ. And we must remain in the city. His freedom was contingent upon the death of the high priest. Only when the high priest died could he leave in safety to go back to his home. However long that may be, it may be years, but that was the only thing he could do. Joshua 20, we read the six names of these cities. Kadesh, which means holy. 
holy. The holy place for the unclean. Christ is the holy place for the unclean. The adulterous woman was morally unclean. And they dragged her throughout the city. And they dragged her into the temple precincts. And they dragged her right to where Jesus stood. And you can imagine there was hundreds in that area. In broad daylight. What shame, what embarrassment, what humiliation. And they flung her at his feet. This woman is deserving of death, says the law. But Christ was her place of safety. Christ was her shelter. Isn't that so? He was her city of refuge. The woman with the issue of blood was ceremonially unclean. It probably had been a long time since she'd been to church. Long time since she visited the synagogue because she was ceremonially unclean. She had absolutely no business touching a rabbi, even if it was just the hem of his garment, because that would make the rabbi ceremonially unclean. That would bar him for seven days from going to the synagogue. No wonder she was nervous and not a little afraid when Jesus said, Who touched me? But she had fled to him for refuge, for safety. And she was wonderfully, wonderfully touched, wasn't she? And completely released and saved from that awful ailment that she had. The leper was physically unclean. Leprosy, particularly in those days, was the most awful, dreadful, dreaded disease imaginable. It was the most unclean disease. You could not touch, you could not go near a leper. But lepers came to Jesus and Jesus touched the leper And for that leper, Jesus was that place of refuge, a place of shelter. Peter was spiritually unclean. Denied that he ever knew his Savior. Completely and utterly denied him. Told barefaced lies and swore by an oath I never knew the man. And whenever the cock crew, and suddenly he realized, when it all came back to him, what Jesus had said, what utter humiliation he must have felt. Big, bragging, boastful, bold, courageous Peter had become the biggest card imaginable. But thank God, Jesus was his place of refuge. And that morning on the beach, when Jesus called him aside 
ask him three times because he denied him three times, do you love me? Jesus was his place of refuge, his place of safety. Man of Gadara was mentally and emotionally unclean. He was completely and utterly out of his mind. The man was demonized. Whole time was afraid of him. Tried to tie him up when he would break the bands like rubber bands. Would cry night and day in the tombs. Would howl and yell. His voice would carry over into the village. I'm sure at night people couldn't sleep because of it. But then Jesus came. (laughs) And he became his place of refuge. And he became our place of refuge, didn't he? We weren't so clever, sure we weren't. We had nothing to boast about. But thank God we found Christ. We found our place of safety and refuge. Shechem, shoulder it means. He's a shoulder for the weary, isn't he? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What a wonderful privilege we have in the burdens of life that we can roll them onto him. And he invites us to do that. Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Isaiah 9 and 6 talks about prophetically and about Messiah who would come. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The government of our lives is upon his shoulder. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you can take your burden today, whatever it may be, and you can put it onto him? He invites you to do that. And he can carry that load. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Remember them old hymns? Hmm. What a blessed and what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. <laughs> Safe and secure from all alarm. You know, if you put your head in your pillow at night and you say, Lord, I can't carry this load. I'm just going to roll it onto you and you'll carry it for me. He wants to do that. I'm serious. He wants to do that because he's our place. He's that shoulder that we lean on. Hebron means fellowship. Fellowship for the homeless. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 9 says in 1 Corinthians 1, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, 
Sorry, I was in 1 Corinthians 13 there. I was going to give you the love chapter. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, the last verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then 1 John chapter 1. Reading verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So clearly we have fellowship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Then he adds to that in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. God made us for fellowship. It is not good that man should be alone. He says in Genesis. Right at the very beginning of creation, God points out perhaps the obvious that it's not good for us to be alone. Now, there are those who are alone, not because they chose that, but because it happened to them. Circumstances put them in that position of being alone. There are some who did choose to be alone, but the vast majority of people wants to belong to be part of. They want to be in a position where they can relate to somebody or somebody can relate to them. That's why we join clubs and fraternities. Uh, That's why in church, for instance, there's women's groups, there's men's, there's moms and tots, there's home groups, because we want to be part of something. We want to fellowship with one another. Part of the whole thing about church is, apart from the teaching of the Word of God and corporate worship unto the Lord, is fellowship one with the other. That's where we really get to know each other, isn't it? I'm not talking about hello-ship, a shake at the hand at the door. I'm talking about getting to know each other. And that's one of the beauties of the home group, we get to know each other. If you hang around long enough, you find out things about each other. Somebody's looking at me as if to say, well, I'm not too sure I'd want anybody to know a lot about me. (laughs) But whenever we fellowship with him, with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit, what a difference it makes to our Christian lives. If we just spend some time in his presence not particularly asking him for anything, wanting him to do something, but just to be there in his presence. Maybe with your Bible open in your lap, maybe with a praise CD playing, maybe just quietly in the quietness of that room in your own heart, just reaching up onto him. That's when we hear his voice. That's when he speaks to us, when we're still before him. So fellowship, is part and parcel of who we are 
not just as human beings, but as believers. As believers, we need to fellowship. Bezer means stronghold. And Christ is a stronghold for the helpless. A fellowship for the homeless, a stronghold for the helpless. Nahum 1 and 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows them who put their trust in him. A stronghold. I don't know if you've ever been to Carrick Fergus Castle. There are strongholds in the castle. Parts of the castle that's almost impenetrable. And they had to be for a place of safety. Whenever you see those forts being made and great bulwarks, there was strength in the stronghold. And when you get into the stronghold, it was hard for the enemy to get at you. Christ is our stronghold from the enemy. And when we get into the stronghold, it's a place of safety for us. Psalm 91, he who dwells under the shadow of the Almighty. What a place to be. Psalm 91 is a wonderful psalm, isn't it? It's a psalm of a place of safety, a stronghold. A place where when you feel weak and you feel tired that you can go to and you feel strong then because you're in that place that's safe and strong. Hebrews 6, 18, that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hope, hold of the hope that is set before us, who have fled for refuge. Charles Wesley one time was sitting in his study. His window was open. And a hawk chased a little bird into the study. And the little bird dived into the bosom of his coat. Place of safety. And out of that experience, he wrote, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. That's where he got the inspiration from. He looked at that tiny little frightened bird with that big hawk enemy outside. And he put that imagery about us fleeing to Christ, the place of safety. A stronghold for the helpless. Ramoth means exalted. Exalted for the hopeless, fellowship for the homeless, stronghold for the helpless. He is our exalted place. When we are in Christ, we are seated in heavenly places. Isn't that what the Bible says? Far above all principalities and powers and mights. If we begin to realize our position in Christ we become much, much stronger. Ephesians chapter 1.
Just breaking in at verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If we are in him and we are in him today because we are the church of Christ, then we too are far above all principalities and powers. doesn't mean they can't attack us, but we're in a position we're above them. Spiritually, we are above them. We have spiritual authority even in the heavenly places. In chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful position to be in. The last one is Golan. Exaltation, that means. Place of joy and gladness for those who are cast down. Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your gladness? Sometimes life knocks the stuffing out of you, doesn't it? Sometimes life knocks the stuffing out of you. <laughs> You're all very religious this morning. It does, doesn't it? Well, it does to me anyway. Things happen. Hadn't planned, hadn't thought about. Bang! Suddenly... You're feeling the weight and the pressure and the strain and the tension. And you're feeling that. And the peace goes and the joy goes and the gladness goes and the face drops, doesn't it? Somebody says, if you're happy, notify your face. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Years and years ago, when I worked on the factory floor in Michelin Tire Factory in Molusk, there was a wee brother and man. He used to come in every day and he was the happiest believer I have ever met before or since, without exception. 
His face was beaming. Day or night shift made no difference. He came in. He was so happy looking, it would annoy you. (laughs) (laughs) You came in tired and weary to start a shift, and he came in bright and breezy. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Give you a big hug. He's the most unusual brown and Chris never met, by the way. Because he usually didn't bother with the Pentecostals. But he did. And do you know what? He had a good testimony. Because everybody used to say, why is he like that? What's he got to smile about coming in here? Maybe in a 3 to 11, the shift and the sun splitting the trees. Eh, why is he so happy? Well, they didn't have to ask him twice. It wasn't long of telling him. Because Jesus saved him from an awful life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. See, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So if we say that we have the Spirit, then there has got to be some fruit of the Spirit. And part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Is joy. And whenever you find Christ, there's joy comes into your heart. I think I told you this years ago, but he's a Baptist pastor today, actually. Then he was just a young man working in a, in a grocer shop. And he got saved, wonderfully saved. And he said he was, he was so full of it. He just couldn't stop thinking about the Lord. He was just praising God and just in his heart, and he was just joyful in the Lord. And he says one day, a woman came in and bought, a, I think it was a bottle of HP sauce. And she put it in the counter. And he says, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> she says, what? <laughs> he was so full of praise and joy. He said, it just came out of me. Because he says, I was thinking about the Lord and what he had done for me. But you see, that's fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Now, let me just wrap this up. Those of you who are perhaps astute enough, whenever I'm talking about types and shadows and using these six cities as a, a shadow or a type of Christ, perhaps you realize something. And if you didn't, let me make it plain to you. Only the innocent could run to the city of refuge. Christ our refuge in the New Testament is for the guilty to run to. (laughs) It's for the guilty to run to. And all of us, without exception, are guilty. Guilty as charged. Before the bar of God, before the divine justice of God, guilty as charged. But Christ pardoned us. He set us free. He forgave us all of our sins. All of those sins that are accumulated against the holy God, he wiped them out. So we the guilty ones, we run to him. And he saves us. Aren't you glad for that today? Isn't he a wonderful savior? Isn't it it great to know right now that you're saved. That if you were to die right now, 
If you were to walk out in that street and get knocked down and died, you would immediately go into the presence of the Lord. That's a wonderful thing to know that in your heart, to know it. Because Christ is our safe place. He's our place of refuge today, amen? Lord, we give you thanks that your life, innocent though it was, became the price for our guilty lives. We thank you for that. Even though we ourselves were guilty, you forgive us and you cleansed us and you made us fit for the Father's house. We bless you for that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.